The New Testament reading is from Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages and buy food for, to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five, fishes, uh, five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they, looked, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Tom Waltais. I'm the guest pastor here this morning, but some of you are familiar with me, and I'm very familiar with this place. I'm the director of Geneva Campus Ministry, and my office is right over there in the building uh, as well. So unfortunately, we haven't been around much this year as well. Let's pray that this fall we will be able to renew our programming and be interacting with students and we appreciate the partnership that we've had with One Ancient Hope here and the use of the building and in doing ministry together as well. One of the things I do when I when I bring a message is try to give kind of a engaging first word and I often think of one and then another one comes to mind that just says no that's the right one for this time and today. So I want you to think this morning of identity. And as we look at the text of Scripture, I'm going to ask you how you identify with the passage that was read. Identity means your connection, how you see yourself but then you also see that reflected in other ways, and it helps define who you are. And that's what the Word of God does. It interacts with us, it defines us, and it helps us develop in our character and in our identity. Now, I like words also, and so I went and looked at what does the word identity actually mean? And now, there are a few academics here that might get this. And I'm going to test if any of them know. I'm not going to ask you if you know what the Latin word, but I am going to give you the Latin word behind it. And it is idem. Any academics here that have used the word idem? Oh, think of writing footnotes. Idem means in the same place. And that's what identity means. It means the same. Or again, I've I've referenced that before. I'm referencing it again. And that's what we also do when we come together to worship and to explore God's Word, is, is to do it again and again to shape our identity. 
And yet in this text, a narrative text like we have in front of us this morning, gives us many different ways to identify and to see ourselves within this text. One way, and I'm going to ask this question. Don't feel like you have to answer it out loud. At times, I might ask for that, but I'll let you know. Are you hungry? Some of you might not have had enough breakfast, and you said, yeah, I kind of am. But I never have been really desperately hungry. I've never had to consider where my next meal comes from or whether I'll have enough food for the week. I thank God for that. But maybe some of you have had that experience. And it is all too common in our world of people who are hungry. It's even far more common than we know in our own community of how many people are food insecure. They're hungry. So one way to look at are you hungry is that sense of our physical hunger. But we often use that word in other ways too. And we say, I'm hungry for this. And it's not food. So I ask, what are you hungry for? Jesus, also in the Gospel of Matthew, in the section called the Blessings of the Beatitudes, said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what are you hungry for? What do you hunger and thirst for in terms of righteousness? And again, you don't have to answer that out loud, but in your own mind, say, what do I really desire to come about? To be right in the world, and it is not right in the world. The list can get far too long too quickly. Let me just give you some examples, maybe to stimulate your own thinking, but use and say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm hungry for that. And you say, well, that's not an issue for me, but yeah, that one. We're going to be different, different situations. Some of you may be really hungry for people who are hungry. That troubles you. The lack of adequate food in our own community and in our world. And how that's related to poverty and economic inequality. How it may be connected to immigration and other issues there too. Where people are so hungry they're leaving their homes and we're not sure how to deal with that and we need justice. Others of you may have experienced a real hunger as you have confronted racism in some way. And you see the division and the brokenness of our society. Climate change is making more and more people hungry. Physically and socially. Sexism. You may be hungry because of ways that's broken our relationships. Or you may see those who have suffered from drug abuse or crime. And you hunger 
for a righteous world. Again, far more things that we say, yes, there's something deep inside of us that longs for righteousness. So then, as the Beatitudes said, they will be filled. How? How is that hunger to be filled? I look out at the crowd here. Most of you are younger than I, but it's still an ongoing chant, a chant of protest. And so the first question is, what do you want? And that's that hunger question. What do you want? And then the crowd will shout out whatever the cause may be. And what's the next question? Here, this is one you can answer. What do you want? Answer it. Then, when do you want it? And what's the answer? Now. Good. We still have some protest among us. That's good. Well, we have a sense. We see the brokenness, and we want to be filled, and we want it now. And then the next question is, how? And the problem with a lot of protest is the how. Either there's no answer, it's just a complaint. That has some value, but doesn't always get us where we need to go. Other times it is a protest that's to lead to a revolution or a conflict. And so the how is by violence, by rising up and getting your way and overthrowing the other side. And we see too much of that in our world and in our community. A wrong answer to the how. An answer of violence that only increases the problems. Others say, no, we don't like that violence How is it going to come about? Pray. And some of you go, yes, yes. And others you go, like, that's a cheap answer. So how do we put together doing and praying to meet the hunger? Well, Jesus came into a hungry world. The text we read this morning from Matthew 14, and if you may have your Bibles with you, if you just look at the episode that's right behind, before it, you don't have to follow that, but it's the episode of the murder of John the Baptist that exposes a broken world. It is a horrid story. It's just a violent, disgusting, broken story story. It is a story that has elements of abuse of power, of political corruption, of adultery, of maybe some sexual improprieties. That leads to a death, all in the context of a feast. It is a story that exposes the hunger of our world that tries to meet its ways by power and by feasting and partying and ignoring the problems and increasing the problems is a story that's before the one we read this morning. And now we have a contrasting feast. Herod is a feast of the world. 
Jesus provides a different way to meet the hunger. So in that context, maybe you are starting to have an identity with that crowd. A little bit going back into that time and saying our times are not all that radically different. We still have political corruption and abuse and conflict. We still have economic disparity. We still have people who are vastly feasting and people who are starving. And so you might start to make some of those connections and see yourself as part of that world and part of that crowd. Then that leads into our text. And we look at Jesus. Jesus heard what had happened, and he withdrew. He heard what had happened to John, and he withdraws to a wilderness area. Now maybe some of you start to make some connections and identities there. Because there's some people that say, this world is so broken, let's just withdraw from it. And sometimes you need to do that to get perspective on it, but it's not where the story ends. But Jesus himself said, I need to withdraw from this brokenness and this chaos. It doesn't tell us what he did. It doesn't tell us why he withdrew. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he was afraid he saw what had happened to John, and he knew it could happen to him, and it will eventually happen to him. But it wasn't the right time now. And so he withdrew. Maybe, though, you say, no, no, I don't like that idea of Jesus being afraid. He's probably withdrawing to prepare himself for the conflict that's coming. That's very possible. He's withdrawing in order to converse with his father in prayer. To be redirected in his mission and encouraged in his mission that is hitting greater conflict and so he needs that withdrawal. And that's also an important way maybe to identify with the text. But the author says he doesn't get to do what he wants to do because the crowd shows up. The crowd is still there. You can't withdraw from it. It's still hungry. Did they know exactly why they were following Jesus? Again, there's many different possibilities. Maybe just because they want to hear something new from this teacher. At the very end of the story, there's a little interesting thing that causes some people some trouble. That there were 500 men, and it's often translated not counting women. It can also be translated, there were 500 men without women. In other ways, it might have been that there were no women there. And that it was 500 men, or 5,000 men, who are looking for a revolution. Who are coming after Jesus and say, we know what just happened to John, and we're ready now to fight against Herod and the Romans. Because it does tend unfortunately, or I don't know how to think about it, it does tend to be that men are the ones who fight that way more often. Maybe also part of our brokenness. So maybe the crowd is there, ready for a revolution. But maybe it's also they're just there because they need help. They bring their sick. They need help. And that's what Jesus sees. He sees a group of people who are hungry, who need help. 
a few chapters before when Jesus had seen the crowd. In Matthew chapter 9, he looks at them and he, he has compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And then he said, pray that the Lord will send forth harvesters. People that will help these harassed and helpless people. And now that same people is coming in front of Jesus and he has the same reaction. He has compassion on them. That's a powerful and important word. And a great place to start in our attitude of how we look at the brokenness and hunger of our world. Compassion. Compassion is a powerful word in our own language. It is to suffer with those who are hurting. That's what it means, to suffer with. In the Greek language, the word itself has a, a sense to it, and you have to say it, and I won't ask you to say it, it's spelinkna, you have to say it with your gut, because what it means is you feel it in your gut. That's compassion. It's not just to look at the problems out there and to say, oh, I have need. It's also to look at the problems out there and say, oh, this world is broken. And it's not to condemn it. It's not to avoid it. It's to suffer with it. So we can see ourselves and identify and see ourselves as part of the crowd, and we are. But we also maybe ought to start to see ourselves as like Jesus who doesn't stay separate from the crowd and when he sees them, he has compassion. He doesn't leave them. He suffers with them. And in many ways, that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus suffers with and for us. And here is a foretaste of it in our text. To bring healing, he does that in an ultimate way on the cross. But already here he's saying, when you see the needs of the world, don't be judgmental, don't be avoiding. Know that you're part of this brokenness and you suffer with it. We have a third identity, and I will be honest with you. Unfortunately, this is the one... I see myself as too easily. The disciples. The disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, it's been a big day. It's getting late in the day. And we're out in this desolate wilderness place. There's no food here. And this is a big crowd of people. Send them away. They, the disciples, have their theory, their idea, and they actually command Jesus. They tell him what to do. Jesus, send them away so that they can go to the villages and get food for themselves. Well, is there a problem with that? The disciples see a problem. There's a bunch of hungry people. They say there's no resources here. And so what they say is tell the people to go fix it themselves. 
Tell the people to leave here and go take care of themselves and get their own food. Now, maybe that might sound a little familiar. Because we hear that too. When we hear the needs and the brokenness of our world, we hear a lot of people say, well, tell them to go fix it. Tell them to go take care of themselves. And as I say, maybe I identify too easily there. What is it to me? You go take care of your problem. I got enough of my own. And so that's the disciples' solution. Tell them to leave and go help themselves. It reminds me once, a number of years ago, uh, a, a person who was a friend of mine actually called me up. We lived in a different place now. And she, she called me up and said, Tom, I'm trying to find where in the Bible it says God takes care of those who take care of themselves or God helps those who help themselves. And I said, well, you're not going to find it because it's not there. And in some ways, it's kind of the opposite of the Bible. But that's often the response we hear. Yeah, there's problems in the world. I'll take care of myself. You take care of yourself. Leave here. Go find your own solutions. I can't do anything. Well, Jesus doesn't let that answer sit. He responds very quickly and he says, No, they don't have to leave. You feed them. And the disciples have exactly the reaction I would have. What? What do you mean? I don't have anything to feed them with. Oh, we got a little bit here, not much. Five loaves, two fish, but eh, for this crowd, that's worthless. We don't have anything. We have nothing to use. What do you mean, you feed them? And I have to admit, I fully understand the disciples. I look at the brokenness of the world, and I hear God saying, you be my servants in that broken world, and I say, I don't have anything I can do to change it. I don't have enough resources. And again, it's another way to excuse and to say, let them take care of themselves, fix it, find their own food, and I'll take care of myself. And Jesus says, no. They don't have to leave. You don't send them away. You have to deal with them. And I say, but how? And Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And I still would say, this little bit? Yeah. Jesus says, whatever you have, bring it to me. Jesus doesn't allow us to say, I don't have anything. I don't have anything I can do. Jesus, you fix it. He says, no, I'm involving you and I'm including you. I'm using you. You may feel inadequate, but whatever you have, bring it to me. And there's the beginning of the turning point of the story. Jesus says, I see the need and I have compassion. And maybe that was the disciples' problem too. They lacked the compassion. 
Maybe part of the disciples' problem was they had compassion, but they lacked any vision of what they could do. Because they had forgotten about God in their world. They looked at it only as their own resources. And our own resources are inadequate. And if we look at only our own resources, we'll say there's nothing we can do. We don't have anything to fix this. And Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And then he looks to God. He takes a little bit of bread and he raises it up and he gives thanks. Probably using the traditional Jewish prayer. Which would be, blessed are you. Lord our God. Master of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus said, look at where your bread comes from. It comes from God. It's not just your little resource, but look that it is from God that you are given these resources. And then Jesus gives that bread to his disciples. Again, he includes them. He doesn't fix it himself. He says, let's look to God. Now let's take what God gives us and give it to the people. And there's an abundance. There's leftovers. A little bit of bread, but given up to God and returned with abundance. That word abundance is a powerful and wonderful word. Leftovers, you might have different reactions to that. We often have leftovers because we do have an abundance. I hope you can enjoy leftovers from a meal at times. Because you have an abundance. But the vision is here is that God gives us more than we need. And we often say, I don't have anything. And the vision here is, no, God has given you an abundance. Christ said in the Gospel of John, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Overflowing. The psalmist in Psalm 23 had said, He prepares a table for me, a feast, a banquet, in the presence of my enemy, Herod. He anoints my head with oil. He provides soothing, healing comfort. Jesus heals the sick. And my cup overflows. The same word, abundance. My cup has more than I need. And that's the vision here of this text. It says you can identify with the crowd, that's good. You can identify with Jesus, that's good. You can identify even with the disciples, and maybe that's not as good, but it's more honest. Now identify with the story. Identify with God's abundance. Overflowing. Twelve baskets full. 
Again, a symbolic number. The whole Old Testament idea of the 12 tribes, the abundance, enough for all God's people. Later on, he'll do another healing miracle that seems to say, and beyond God's people, for the Gentiles as well. That's our story. Maybe you've found some different identities. But you still say, why tell this story? It's to help us identify, but then to give us a vision of abundance. A vision of how our God has worked throughout the ages and continues to work as a God of giving abundance. Anybody, as we talk about this kind of strange feeding miracle, you might at first have some of those rationalist reactions, like how do you take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people? And I say, I have no idea, except with God's abundance. There's been theories that maybe Jesus' example of sharing his food let other people to share their food. I think that's a great idea. I don't think it's in the text at all, but sharing your food is a great idea. Other people go as far as saying he was hiding by a cave and there was food in the cave and he was sneaking it out. That's just going too far. But you've got to see it in connections with other stories as well. We sang, interestingly, in one of our opening songs that might give you another connection story. Here's a chance for you to answer. Anybody? You can go back in the bulletin quick. You're all acting like really good students. Any Old Testament feeding story? Manna, thank you. Manna, I love the name manna. It means, what is it? Because when they were fed in their deep need in the wilderness, they didn't know how it happened either. And so they called it manna. What is this? We don't understand this. But it's meeting our hunger. It's keeping us alive. And it's abundant every day. We read, as the Old Testament text, a strange story from the prophet Elisha. A little bit of food, a hundred men to feed. And they say, this isn't enough. But God makes it abundance, and there's leftovers. The prophet Isaiah had taken that image of feeding, and he had said, that's an image of what the final culmination of all things will be. It will be a wonderful banquet. An abundant banquet and party. And even Jesus, interestingly, when he tells the people to lay down to have food, it doesn't get translated that way, but that's the way it is. In this story, he tells them to lay down to have food is an image of what you do at a banquet. In that culture, if you were really going to have a feast, you reclined and just enjoyed yourself. And so Jesus tells the crowd and tells his disciples, have them recline. We're going to have a feast, a banquet. Again, as a foretaste of God's final abundance. As a vision that say God is a God of abundance. 
So it ties to the past, it ties to the future, and it drives us in the present. The world is hungry, and we have in abundance. But you say, no, I don't have enough. Even if I have an abundance, and even if I'm a generous giver, it's not going to solve the problems of this world. It's because you're forgetting to look at who gives you that abundance and will solve the problems of this world and invites you to bring what you have and then take what he gives and give. He invites you to be part of what he's doing. Yes, it is ultimately God's abundance and it's ultimately God's work, but he's inviting you into that. He's giving that you may give. In the language that's used in this text too, he took the bread, he brought it up, and he gave thanks. Ought to sound a little familiar to you. It might not have sounded familiar when it first happened, but it might have sounded familiar to Matthew's readers, and it should sound familiar to you, because that's exactly what we do here. We take what we have we offer it up to God with thanksgiving, and He returns it to us transformed with abundance, transformed with healing. To meet our hunger. It seems like we often see what we don't have. And we feel like we have so little. It's because we're only looking at ourselves and the problems of the world. This text says no. Know that there's a God of abundance. And he's inviting you to share. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you hear of our hunger and our needs and our desires and you have compassion. That you've shown your compassion in the life of Jesus and ultimately in the cross as well. Where you have met our profound need and hunger. And we give you thanks, Lord, that you still invite us to participate to be part of your people, to be part of your servants in the world. And Lord, we are inadequate and we know that. We don't have enough on our own. But we thank you for your abundance. We thank you that you are a giving God that meets our needs and then involves us in sharing in a hungry world. Lord, now bless us as we come to your table. May it, too, invite us into this story in a new way, that we may see it as meeting our deep hungers and also inviting us to share. 
in Christ's name. Amen.